Hi there, everyone. Today's podcast, although not planned like any of our episodes, but nonetheless, we will talk and continue to support all those that try and talk. But uh, I have to say that talking definitely comes with its responsibility. People don't quite understand that their words have an impact, and um, it's a certain burden when you're speaking, you know. Uh, but this was delayed a bit. And that's partially due to Ramadan, or Ramadan, as they claim. Either way, it doesn't cut the fact that uh, you all have been expecting an episode, and here it is. Uh, Also, a huge mode of appreciation for my listeners in Saudi Arabia. Um, It's great you guys are hearing this. Very unexpected, though, but much love to everybody there. And Indonesia and all the Muslim countries hearing this and I'm so happy that in the month of Ramadan we tried finding some connectivity and um, probably that's how you know you all picked up. Uh, Even though Ramadan is over and we've had entirely four days of feasting, uh, of course it hasn't been the same. This Eid has brought with itself plenty of responsibility and that's what happens when you suddenly come across something nice after a long time of some horrendous events and we've had plenty with the covid crisis starting out as a joke as i keep saying in all of my podcasts it was supposed to be like a little racist joke that people made out of you know targeting a certain country but really microbes and um, germs can really be just about anywhere they might be in your backyard then they've you know um, unexpectedly killed more people and places and borders where the healthcare system was much applauded in the world so that's been um sort of news i would say but that's just to say that you know we can't compare anything in the world there are parallels and there are comparisons and we've had previous set of the world order trying to understand and make sense of things but really um if anything this time is a clear indication that anything and everything is possible anywhere in the world so of course don't lose hope but also expect the unexpected the unexpected being that um it was shocking that italy became the second worst hit country after china because i recently saw this movie called call me by your name and it has one of my favorite actors in it timothy shamlet and it's um picturized in Lombardy, the Italian town. What a beautiful city. It's just brilliant. I, I think I'd love to go there if I could anytime soon now. God knows when that would that soon would be. <laughs> but more than Rome, more than Florence and more than all the usual popular tourist destinations, Lombardy is quite quite beautiful and quite stunning given the fact that it's very old school charming and it's got a lot of um very basic italian infrastructure and architecture you know i mean not infrastructure too though in terms of roads and you see the old italy come and come come out alive and i would recommend everybody who wants to go to italy to see this movie um albeit the main characters are homosexual and that might be a point of concern for people Mm, and this is not me, you know, criticizing or supporting. 
it's just me telling it out like it is because this podcast is absolutely boundless and so we talk about everything without having too much of a bias or an opinion we're just stating out facts and there certainly is a difference between having an opinion and having a judgment and just stating out something to be what it is and i really believe that you know people should watch all forms of cinema and all kinds of cinema just to get a grasp of everything that's going on in the world and that's how you learn partially and the rest of the learning is obviously through human interaction but uh you know this year i plan to watch more foreign films in different languages and try to lessen the gap that we've had um borders create and cultures create and our minds create mostly the biases in our minds create the biggest divides uh but that being said it's very interesting that in my home country which is um, pakistan and i would like to speak of it again and again and again because Uh, this podcast of course you know i try to keep it uh, as neutral as i can but you know when we talk about our experiences they have to be personal and they have to stem from what we've been through and certainly that will come up time and again on this podcast and i think uh, we have to make peace with it you know i've had that i've had to delay my podcast a little bit because i was thinking of you know how to keep it neutral and then i've understood that there are things i will not be neutral about and there are things that i will be neutral about so that's fine and that is something that i think people should accept that you know although we try and remain neutral in most situations which is how we should be but um we also can't help but not be neutral at times and we end up picking a side and it's really hard to forgive yourself for that but you know if you make peace with it that really helps so uh there will be things that you know i may not be neutral about and they may come across as my opinions or my own ideas and that's fine because you know we've all had some and it just takes some um, some courage to say it out loud this is why i think about a certain thing so we will talk plenty of such things today but once again coming from my home country pakistan and in lahore uh well given the way i talk a lot of people come up to me and say you know well you've got such a great accent or you have an accent it's not even about great it's more like hey you have an accent so you know where you get it from and i've heard this plenty in my life uh but that's because we i keep saying it before and i really believe it, that colonialism has you know laid our roots more than the moguls did or more than um the slave dynasty did or the khiljis did or the sayyids did and we've had plenty of dynasties and monarchical rule over our country or over our continent uh, which was the subcontinent and today it's india pakistan bangladesh uh, bhutan burma a bunch of other countries uh, however a uh, colonial past unites us and you're going to see this happen everywhere whether you go to bangladesh or sri lanka or india or any of the countries that were a part of the subcontinent that were you know colonized we've really forgotten about where we came from and we don't remember the centuries of muslim rule as we've had in india and pakistan and prior to that uh, prior to muslim rule they had their locals rule and their locals being hindus jains of various religions and of various subcastes and categories within their religion So we've forgotten all of that and we tend to stick with our colonizers uh standards of judgment. 
that's been very prominent. So our colonizers were primarily, you know, from the Caucasian race and ethnicity, and they were white-skinned, and they spoke flawless British English, or in some cases, I'm assuming, didn't speak English and spoke French or the Portuguese, um, even Spanish. And we've had those countries still continue that language. But um, in this region, mostly, the Britishers won a monopoly of other trades and services, so they kind of, you know, um, branched the other people out. Not really branched, essentially, but just drove them out. Um, they won the competition and they got control of the region, and so we didn't really have French control or Spanish control or Portuguese or Dutch, albeit their attempts to try and take that. But we've had the British, so we've got English as a primary mode of language. And, and the interesting thing is that you are expected to speak and write and read and recite the most flawless of English. And, you know, I still don't know what that is. Despite having an education primarily in English, I still don't know what the perfect form of English really is. Is it um, standard London English or is it uh, the Queen's English or is it the Scottish English? Which form of English are we supposed to speak or is it the one that my colonizers spoke? Because, I mean, they're, they're dead now, but I don't know them, but I've heard them. And the English didn't quite sound like the ones that you heard people from London speak. I mean, it did sound like that initially, but... It came here, got merged with the locals, you know, to try to sort of make it easier. And we've had, obviously, a merging and an amalgamation of accents. So what is the right form of English? And, you know, as we grew up, the millennials, as you would call us, uh, we had American soft power all around us. And, you know, we didn't get to see that much of British cinema. We saw more of the American one because, well, they gained more supremacy in, on the global stage. And indeed, they worked really hard for it. You know, credit should be given where it's due. We saw science. We saw movies like um, Back to the Future, Terminator, uh, so many more fun movies like that. I remember staying up and watching Cliffhanger or watching um, a lot of uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme movies. So plenty of these movies that were all American and as we grew up, um, I remember back in school, my friends and I would joke about um, the movies that are pop culture-esque now, such as Mean Girls or Clueless. And you know, we, we'd talk about them in the morning and say, oh, have you seen that movie? And Freaky Friday, and you know, you'd feature actresses like Lindsay Lohan. And so everybody can relate this point that you know, the celebrity culture quite became centered around um, U.S. celebrities primarily, so again, we picked up their accents and their English, and it became really cool to just start talking in an American accent one day, because half your friends were either, you know, from outside Pakistan, so being with them automatically made you speak that way, and then their accents sort of dissolved to the Pakistani version of what an accent should be like, so it's really, you know, complicated even now as to what the right pronunciation is, uh, what English are we supposed to speak, so it's a question, really, and I would like everybody to think about it for a moment. But overall, that being said, in Lahore, we have plenty of schools that teach um, incredible English, given that it's a second language here and uh, not a first one anymore. It was uh, for a little time uh, during the colonizers' years, not anymore, when the official documents made it from Persian to um, English. And in steps, of course. However... 
uh, a lot of people will speak like this the way i am speaking and it wouldn't really be any different i do understand that a lot of the feedback that i've gotten in my podcast from outside pakistan not here has been that how do you speak so well from pakistan well you know guess what we all speak like this a majority of us do we've all been educated enough uh the cambridge standard system of education is one that's being followed in even the smallest of towns in pakistan so that time when you know you would have a certain relative <laughs> ring you up from let's say a town like least in england and they would say oh you know people in pakistan don't don't know how to speak well um i wouldn't name her but i had a particular relative <laughs> and this is the funniest story ever so um she wasn't uh she didn't she did not get to finish her education before she was married off and so she went and finished her education in england so interestingly enough people we've seen that a lot now uh and this happened even back in school when people moved back from either the states or the states as in the united states of america or whether they moved back from england or canada wherever and they would come back they wouldn't come and just particularly tell you about their experiences or their customs and all of these things that they followed in these countries but they would first of all the first thing that you would notice about these people which were pakistani by origin and of course had the same race uh which is a mixture of races again a long 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 topic but that later uh they would have this air of superiority with them and i am pretty sure what i'm saying right now will be very 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 relatable to all the people hearing because we've all had that relative or that friend in school that moved from a certain country and you know you're friends with them and they would just say that oh wow i don't know what the hell you do in this place i mean i came from a better country and these are words i've heard a better country and if they don't say that they will just have you question uh your sense of belonging So that happens to people that have moved back from the colonizer states to Pakistan or even if they come for a vacation they somehow feel um because they're living in a country that has you know certain standards standard of living uh, indicators that are better than Pakistan and that are things that we can't differ with right so maybe the housing and the healthcare I will not even talk about it anymore because it's what looks on surface um to be better is not entirely better and those of you that have gone outside to the United States of America particularly you've seen what their healthcare system has been like and if you've had the privilege of watching it firsthand you know that it's anything but privilege um recently we've seen how the obamacare tried to make it better and uh, well that's been rolled back now so their healthcare is reserved for the top 1% and even having as much as a child outside can cost you an arm and a leg literally so it's um well yeah i'm not even going to give an opinion just google it up and you're going to read about the absurdity of their healthcare but that should, that being said a lot of the things outside were better indeed the public schooling system was better than ours and you know um their housing and their employment and their gdp and their gnp and their fdi and their gdp per capita that's specifically where the difference came in because they earn more and so that brought them a sense of entitlement and even though if in your local currency you might have been placed financially better than your so called 
relatives outside or your people outside, the ones you knew, your expats, uh, they, they still felt like they had some sort of entitlement. And I don't blame them because they came from an extremely um, misplaced environment where the sense of belonging became questionable. So you don't really know whether you're brown or whether you're American or whether you're British or whether you're Scottish or whether you're Pakistani or whether you're Muslim yet British. So it's it's rather confusing for them and they that lack of belonging um, probably develops that inherently somewhere. However, my relative would really question me. So she would just, you know, write the word healthy um, on a piece of paper and ask me to pronounce it. And I would say, you know, healthy, that's what I see. Yeah, um, dash XYZ is a healthy girl. And because she came from a certain part of England, um, so she would say that, hey, you got it wrong. It's not healthy. You pronounce that word as healthy with a th, like th for th. And it would really amuse me. I'd be like, yeah, yeah, you're right. You know, I got it wrong. It's fine. As long as it keeps you happy knowing that I got it right, wrong because I'm from Pakistan. So it was really funny. But I realized that, you know, the place that where she lived in, they pronounced healthy as healthy. Oh, that's just um, a cultural thing that they have a certain accent there. And it's rather funny. But, you know, once again, the merit of judgment was how I spoke the word healthy. Is it healthy or is it healthy? And to this day, we have this huge joke at home about it that, yo, if you, if you can say this word right, you might amount to something. And it's a big family joke at this point. But um, that being said, you can see that the merit and the standard of judgment um, still is what the colonizers, you know, taught that poor lady. Um, yeah, if you're hearing this, well, okay, hope you laugh about it. <laughs> but no, uh, with all due respect, you know, it's just interesting how that will continue to be our merit of judgment. Um, so bring us back to what I was initially going to talk about but I had to explain how this connection develops and I hope people in all the countries that are hearing me especially the ones that have been colonized uh, you also understand this probably uh, more than the ones that haven't gone through this experience you know the kingdoms probably haven't and a lot of the people but even those people from Africa especially they would know what I'm talking about and I'm so happy to have listeners from Africa I've always wanted to see these brilliant parts of it um, and sending love out to everybody listening but uh, that being said like the connection was that in Lahore in Pakistan often when I talk about cinema I try to focus on our local cinema and our local cinema I don't really mean just Pakistani I mean the cinema of the region and um, India and Pakistan share a very unique and complicated relationship it's like um, having a very toxic ex-partner and albeit that's going to be hilarious for a lot of people and I hope it is because a toxic ex-partner and you have shared history so you know you both know things you both like and you have likes and dislikes that you know but you can't get along because there's mutual hate or competition or whatever toxic element that you know has not allowed you people to coexist together so we've got the same thing going on um we have our border squirmishes and we've got envy um, and we've got this, you know, India keeps blaming Pakistan for sort of breaking apart of its greater India and all of that. But that's a political debate. But that aside, what we can't help but deny is our shared history, our shared languages. And again, that brings us to our shared culture. Uh, 
the partition in 1947 a lot of people have plenty of opinions but i will say one thing it was inevitable you cannot be forced into living with something that you're you know strongly uncomfortable with and when that's a personal relationship you see divorces happening you've got breakups happening because two people when they feel extremely uncomfortable squeezed in the same space they just you know move out of it or don't stay, stay together so imagine that happening to a whole bunch of people in millions and billions later now um they were bound to sort of you know entirely create a different country for themselves and that would have happened it was inevitable the differences were too many to allow coexistence peacefully and the skirmishes were far too many and then the genocide of 47 is one that is severely underreported in history it's one of the genocides of the world's forgotten about we rem- we remember world war 1 and 2 when we remember the auschwitz and the nazi concentration camps and the numbers of that era and that time and we've got the holocaust survivors and their memories brought up every year but nobody remembers 47 and the um horrendous amount of killings murder rape war crimes and at every corner at every street where you had two communities in lahore the city i live in today was also subject to plenty of those and i'm not saying that either was um more or less i'm not commenting on that yet although i have an answer for that but um they were occurring on both sides and um plenty of people lost a lot uh, more than just lives they've they've lost honor they've lost um self esteem they've lost respect they've lost land they've lost belonging they've lost you know equity and ownership of property land capital friends family connections uh, so many more things um and thus you've got a whole new country but again because there is a shared trauma we're also trauma bonded to india and uh, just like you would be to a very toxic partner that you can't let go of so trauma bonding happens when you have shared trauma i mean one of that's just one example it can be plenty others as well but when you've got shared trauma you you know sort of keep hitting a wall with this person and so we have shared trauma with india and so we keep hitting a wall in that case in that case you know we've both gone through a lot of similar incidents and at that point it becomes a strategy of competing against each other really but um i can't deny that their cinema appeals to us and our cinema appeals to them uh we do at times on both sides of the border have protectionist policies where we don't let artists from either side work and that's um just protecting your local cinema uh but the policies aside when you see an indian movie you do relate to it and people will say oh you know how can you watch an indian movie um that's so petty of you these are things that i get to hear a lot and I would like to address this by saying that what makes you run away from your culture that's one question I have out there for everybody if you um ever speak to a girl or a boy or a family member or a friend or anybody and it'll probably be somebody you're just starting to get to know because that's when you know these things and it's really amusing that will while you'll have conversation people will say oh you know how can you watch this movie or it's so cringeworthy yes we are very cringeworthy people at times and uh, over uh, dramatic uh, over i would say representation or dramatization of emotions can certainly cringe anybody out and why even going to deny that 
But you see that happening on both sides in the Pakistani plays that have a lot of uh, overemphasis on emotions and that happens on the Indian side too. So maybe we are people that feel really deeply. We can be the kind of people that let our emotions go on a spree, albeit requiring control. But that being said, why do people run away from their culture? This is one of my key concerns of today's podcast, that why people feel the need to foreignize themselves to a degree where they must only prefer a certain form of cinema which has to come from the West. That's a question. We don't even watch movies from Bangladesh. We don't even see the Indian art films, and there's so many, and they're quite... Um, awe-inspiring, I would say. They, you know, shake you up. They wake you up to a lot of realities that are not there on mainstream cinema. And again, mainstream cinema has a certain target audience. Um, it has a certain motto, which is to lighten the mood and not go into something too deep. It's very casual. It's, you know, on the surface. And so it's going to, you know, pick up emotions and sort of over-dramatize uh, very basic emotions. But um, you've got a whole bunch of art cinema that nobody really watches. And Pakistan has had the privilege of making its first English film ages back in the 70s, or I think it was the 80s, uh, and nobody's seen it, right? I think it features Faryal Gohar, one of her actors. Uh, So the idea is that why do people feel a certain sort of burden embracing their culture? Because if we watch Bollywood, or if we watch even Lollywood for that matter, it is our culture. And Lollywood has a whole bunch of genres. Um, for a large part, it was specifically mainstream Punjabi. But that's the question, like, what happened to Pashto cinema? We've got Pashto cinema, and um, you've got some... Uh, well, <laughs> I don't want to be rude, but we've got voluptuous women in Pashto cinema as the mainstream characters. And nobody talks about that because they started body positivity a whole while ago where they had plus-size women being featured in their songs and their movies as lead heroines and nobody talks about that in the world um i mean i'm not saying that you know embrace it or identify it or accept it but i'm certainly saying to give it a chance um one of my favorite dialogues in this movie called mona lisa smile is from julia roberts and she's telling these her students that you know that this is that she, she, um, she shows them this artwork and it's rather a little dull it's like a it's like this canvas that's full of sim- very texturized cement. And that's all that there is to it. And they don't like it. They're, they find it a little gruesome. Or grotesque would be the right word. And she says, that I don't want you to appreciate it or like it or, you know, dislike it. But just simply accept it. Give it a chance. So a lot of things uh, in life require that that neutrality where you can just, you know, shut your mind off without and stop your biases, I would say. Not particularly shut your mind off, but the part that has the biases where we like things or dislike things and we're so quick to just pass judgment on them, might as well just let them be and let them flow in your brain. Have them like a presentation where you have a slide and you're going to view it and you don't think much of the slide until you're done with the slide. That's when you have a conformed opinion. So... You know, I, I I see people like that. They're like, oh, we don't watch Bollywood. We don't watch Indian cinema. Pakistani. We don't watch Pakistani cinema. 
god how creepy how cringeworthy how this how that and how basically a whole item of things and words to let somebody down that this is if you're watching this you've got um you've got you know a low standard and then that brings me to ask what is a low standard you know what is it is it the color i'm born with i i'm not really very tan but if i was um would my skin color dictate that i am a low standard object and would the way i speak dictate that what my standard is and it's really sad but these boundaries and these classifications have now formed a part of our new um existing culture where we will judge and we judge on so many levels it it does start from you know the cover of a book and putting a human as that cover and we don't want to see the book unless we like the cover first so but cinema specifically you'll be judged a lot for your choices um but i here want to put forward that everybody from this region if if you're living in these places in pakistan or india um or any of the states of subcontinent bangladesh inclusive um or even if you're not living here and if you're living outside pakistan india and uh, the subcontinent region if you're living in uh westernized states or anywhere in the world even if you're living in africa for crying out loud and i know people are mm, please it's all right for you to just accept cinema that depicts the masses of your culture because the culture will not be formed with one person's opinion and that's just not how it works just the way nothing works with clearly you know one singular inclination you need a whole bunch of people to support an idea so a lot of the people still adhere to their cultural values or what's been practiced and i'm not saying culture is a positive thing or a negative thing i'm just saying it's something that's being practiced for example if industrialization allowed the progression of fast food being embra- embraced as a pop culture it was certainly cool to stop by at starbucks in the morning grab a latte and it was even cooler to go ahead and grab a big mac on the way back from work initially i'm talking about the 80s and the 90s um of course the options are much more varied now than may starbucks and mcdonald's but if globalization and industrialization aided that to be our culture that's just something we're doing now it doesn't have to be good or bad right it can be good for someone can be bad for a whole bunch of people as studies have shown now so watching these movies is simply knowing about customs and cultures that are practiced even today in some parts or were and certainly formed our history so it's not such a shameful thing to embrace um cinema that is close to us and by close to us i will imply that it's geographically close to us or we have historical connection with it and that could be traumatic or that could be pleasant either way depending on your story um so it's all right you know have this courage to say it's fine i can watch this and you know it's all right i won't judge somebody for it if they're watching it because people tend to give plenty of judgment on your kind of cinema but you know it's it's fine and i believe everybody should watch local cinema and then they should obviously watch international cinema as well um one of my favorite french films has to be livian rose and it was about this beautiful cabaret singer um 
and I think everybody should watch it. It was very, very touching, and I remember seeing it on a plane coming back to Lahore, um, and it made for a lovely flight. You know, it zoned me out, and it was literally like I was in Paris, um, but not the Paris that has Champs-Élysées or that's got the Arc de Triomphe, the Paris that would be in a certain time. Um, the Paris that was, you know, sort of dirty, the Paris that you got, you, you'd get to see in a movie like Les Miserables or in, you know, a pre-revolutionary time. That kind of Paris is what we were willing to see. The raw French cinema where it's blunt, it's dark, it's real. And that was the essence of the Parsian culture, right? And I would not have picked that up had I seen something like A Night in Paris or a regular pop French culture film, I wouldn't have gotten to know what that that's like. So similarly, if I will now watch a movie from Bollywood um, called Pakiza and I want to see it again, and I've been trying to find the time to it, and I'm, I haven't gotten hold of that time yet. But when I do, I know, I've seen it before too though, I just want to rewatch it now. I saw it when I was very young, and at an older age, I want to see what happens when I see this movie, and how will I now be able to identify with this film or elements from that movie and the culture that's being shown in that movie. And it's a brilliant story about a prostitute um, falling in love with a man, something like that, if I remember right. And uh, it has these elements of honor and dishonor because a prostitute obviously belonged to, you know, a dishonorable status in the society is depicted and a man from an honorable background um, falling in love with her and his obligations. So it's a very interesting mix and match of culture and honor that is valued a lot in our system. Uh, whether you're Punjabi, uh, a Pakhtun, or a Siraiki, or a Balochi, or somebody else from the north, uh, a Hindko person, we've got this huge idea of honor in our culture. And I think that's being followed everywhere. The Tamils, the Gujaratis, um, the Delhiites, and uh, in Bangladesh and everywhere else in this region, honor is something that connects all of us. As interesting as it is, we've got honorary killings, not just in Pakistan, but everywhere in this region. Uh, reporting, reported, I don't know if they are or not, if they're unreported, but honor killings are something that occur in the entire region. And why is that? It's not because of a lack of education, it's because honor is a part of the culture. And whether you speak the similar languages or not, or worship the same God or not, honor is a culture. So that's just my idea of showing that, you know, how relevant it is to understand these um, terms and their connection to our entire storyline today. Because although we're being shaped by modernism and things are changing at a speed we can't put a finger on at this point right now, in terms of global governance, in terms of global healthcare, that's blown up everything right now. It's even delaying elections in the world, for that matter, and education. And, you know, this is the first time that globally we're all going through something. Um, otherwise, I remember there was a time when Iran had its schools shut off for a year, I think, or two years. I'm not quite sure about the duration, but it was a bunch of years or a year. Um, and that was just Iran. So that was just that particular class of students that were delayed graduation, etc., whatever they were going through. But now it's globally, it's, it's everywhere in the world. You've got virtual graduations happening. And it's the first time we can, you know, really say that, that the world is global. It doesn't matter what color, caste, creed you are. But, you know, once this pandemic is over, and in lots of ways, it's still not over in the sense that although we, you know, uh, some of us have the privilege to just think about Krona, but a lot of us don't. 
and that culture and the symbolic nature of our culture will come into play in households in different ways and you know i'm sure everybody hearing this can relate that you know your cultural elements will continue happening for example uh, the best part about you know being a muslim is that it also brings a sense of culture because you've got traditions and holidays and religious activities that then sort of become culturally very symbolic so we had eid and eid is this celebratory um holiday after ramadan where we all you know meet each other and greet each other and um the elders tend to give out money to the young ones and no matter how you know old they are no matter how young the young are even if the young are in their 30s or in their 40s they will still receive a form of present because it's ceremonial and customary and it's you know a beautiful way of showing love and care at that age it's it's uh, at that day sorry irrespective of age or your earning capability it is a symbol really it's a symbol of expression of care and um but this but this time you know because of covid people haven't really met that way the way they would have met previously um and those that have met they haven't um, met their uh they've they've been selective about meeting certain family members because of age limitations and you know health implications and the members that are sick um everybody's awarded them you know so the, it hasn't been similar so carrying out your cultural events uh would also be under question but again in a lot of ways you know you've seen muslims um offer tarawih prayers in the mosques despite covid so that's the interesting part about culture and health crisis all very connected um but yeah overall you know the idea of today's podcast is simply to embrace it and doesn't mean you have to you know do those things you don't you don't have to really practice uh every element of your culture for example genital mutilation is a cultural practice too especially in the females uh in a lot of muslim countries too and in african countries that are not muslim it's a cultural thing that goes on from whole belt you can trace it geographically coming up but you know is it worth practicing now is it a form of torture sure probably is you know and i feel for the people that have had to go through that so certain things don't have to be embraced but to understand them and their history and their connection and how that connection is still partaking in today's world is is crucial and i think cinema can be a great deal to comprehend that and learn um because a lot of things you know you you continue to see them play out despite our modernization you see the men behave a certain way and the women behave a certain way um and then you see the attitudes of them on the third gender as well uh, how culture has influenced the transgenders because back in the day of the mogul courts we had um inuits and transgenders being employed at the highest stature so how did they fall from that to what they are right now and specifically in this region in this society so that's why it's so essential to embrace your cinema and watch it and learn from it um because at the end of the day you know as human beings i feel like we're here to learn a lot more than we are to just like and dislike things when we learn we can just accept things and see which ones we're supposed to take forward and which ones we're supposed to drop out and how we supposed to connect the things that happened in the past with what's happening now um just the way viruses have evolved in history we've seen them you know uh, evolve from something tiny like smallpox to something huge like the novel covid or something less huge today like the spanish flu but that was big in 1912 so we've seen viruses and microbes and um germs evolve and get stronger and 
our immunities have also become stronger for the diseases that our ancestors faced, right? So we've become stronger that way too and weaker to the new infections that are coming up. So just like that, our culture has also evolved and its elements have also evolved. And so you still see them play out in people when you interact with them. And where does that come from, right? So movies are a good way to understand and learn these things and see which ones you will still want to continue with. And, you know, sometimes a movie made in the 1950s is still so relatable today. And why is that? It's because we're still following them. It's because that culture is still there, right? Um, Netflix is playing back in my background and I'm wondering how keeping up with the Kardashians land on it. But again, this is the whole uh, other topic for another day of how culture it has made it acceptable for this show to be aired on Netflix at this point and it's got it's got a huge audience following and with that we're going to sign off today and just um put out food out there for thought for everybody to just you know go out and expand your horizons um break the boundaries of culture break the boundaries of what you like that's very essential to truly be free you've got to experience everything you know and by everything i don't really mean to point out other negative externalities i mean to point out the positive externalities such as maybe try watching a siraiki film or try watching you know a balochi um theater or read about them or read their poets or read the people that have written their stories um read the pakhtun valley if just for information which is a pakhtun at the core or read um you know varis shah who's a Punjabi poet and a Sufi saint and a storyteller, read his books, read his stories. So, you know, you've got, you've got a whole way and a medium of um, languages and cinema which can connect you with storytellers that have written these things in the past and you, know, you can see how much they still relate today or not. So with that, we're going to sign off and here's to an open mind, always trying to be boundless.